Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere. We find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic on both Facebook and Instagram. And you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who didn't hear my first pass at this joke. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, apologies for technical difficulties there. Um, I'm good, Gerald. I uh, just got off of um, what I refer to as um, international uh, Drew Day. My wife, uh, her, her birthday was yesterday. It's a holiday I take very seriously in celebrating. I no longer have to coordinate scheduled COVID-friendly uh, deliveries every hour on the hour. Again, husbands, don't let your wives listen to this podcast uh they're gonna get jealous you know i learned from gerald but i'm doing pretty good uh as a as a decent uh husband here but yes i spent all day yesterday celebrating just caught up on uh, the baylor game watching it not 24 hours later but the next day um and uh and, and excited to talk uh recruiting with you i think i think there's uh some good good things going on right now in the 40 acres so i'm i'm excited to dive in it's a beautiful day absolutely it is a beautiful day um even though February signing day has lost a little bit of its luster. Uh, it's still a big deal for a lot of kids. And so oh, yeah. uh, we're going to talk about the late signing period or the actual signing period where uh, how Texas closed. We'll look a little bit ahead to spring ball and, and some 22 news, actually. Uh, we'll talk about that Baylor game that didn't turn out the way that uh, at least one of us thought it would. And we actually got some new news between then and now on Tuesday. And so we will down the 40. But we're going to talk about National Signing Day. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're well aware that uh, Wednesday was National Signing Day, um, the second go-round. It's lost a little bit of its luster after the December Signing Day, which uh, maybe if we do an impromptu bang the drum, I'll talk about why I don't like December Signing Day, but (laughs) it's neither here nor there. Uh, Texas uh, closed out a class, uh, finished with 19 players signed for the 2021 class. as part of it, they had two they had two players that were already committed that signed four star quarterback Ishmael Ibrahim uh, and three star wide receiver Keith Ron Lee. Both uh, Lee committed after the close of the December signing period, so he had to wait. And then Ishmael Ibrahim uh, was scheduled to sign in the December signing period, and actually was scheduled to be an early enrollee, but had to deal with some legal issues and um, got that taken care of and is now uh, headed to the 40 acres. Texas was in the running for a couple of uh, really three guys landed one of them um, four four star defensive end David uh, Abiara who is a could be already a man child but Sark thinks he could bulk up to 270 which is just nuts to think about um, but Texas again finished with the number 17 class in the nation. That leaves them with some spots open for the transfer portal. Very likely, they would have preferred to maybe only have three uh, spots, maybe even two, but they have four going in to uh, kind of the end of spring ball. So, Kyle, as you look at the the three spots, the three players that, that Texas inked today, man, which one's got you the most excited? I think I liked both of the defensive players. Uh, so, Keezian talked a lot about the fact that 
uh, they fit Coach K. And sorry, just uh, we're going to use that a lot here in the coming years on this podcast when we talk about Coach K, unless we say Duke's Coach K. We're, of course, talking about Coach Kwiatkowski, uh, who, who came from Washington, um, but uh, Coach K's scheme. So I like that he, uh, Sarkeesian and, and Coach K, seem to have a defensive identity or an idea of what they would like to do on defense right away. He knows what he's done before. Um, he talked about Ish Ibrahim, I think, is, is specifically exciting. Uh, a 6-1 cover corner who can tackle, who, um, again, it, Sark specifically called out in his presser today that uh, when Coach K has, has you know, long uh, corners like that, tall corners, uh, he puts them in the NFL. So that's that's an exciting thought right off the bat. Um, you know, I also think he talked a lot. I'd love to hear, you know, a coach who um, is kind of the offensive innovator du jour in the country right now in Sarkeesian say that uh, Keith Ron Lee is, is a guy who excels at gadget plays, I liked. He said bubbles and jet sweeps. Uh, and I just like that a guy who has, you know, runs the heck out of those quote gadget plays uh it calls them gadget plays because you know it's it's uh it's a difference from football many years ago but i think you know lee being a guy who could who could um down the road really kind of uh, make an impact but he also mentioned we have a lot of depth at receivers so i think cornerback being a, a position of need i think ibrahim being one of the more talented players in this class uh i i probably lean there but uh, i i am excited to see you know just more bodies at the the edge rusher spot um you know it, it's a little bit hard to project there obviously we're bringing in sanders and and you know he he is going to be the one who everyone's excited of off the edge uh but i could definitely see a, a world where, where abiar is is you know a, a contributor or a guy who's getting you know multiple sacks a year and that, and that you can never have too many of those guys again he was he was a guy who it feels like fits a need especially with with what kwiatkowski likes to do a guy who can uh he likes to play kind of the hybrid defensive end it's it's not really a two four five it's more like a a four ish four ish five like they sometimes are stand up linebackers or sometimes hand in the dirt kind of defensive end but he's a guy who can play either depending on need and depending on really like you forget he's 17 so the way like i i'm short and i grew a little in college so like these people that are genetically predisposed to be large (laughs) will likely grow some in college especially as they get in this functional movement thing um the best thing for me about keith ron lee is that he's from rudder high school if you don't know where rudder high school is it's in bryan texas and so seeing that much concentrated burnt orange in bryan texas made my heart sing he had like (laughs) 40 people on stage with the 40s an exaggeration, but it was a bunch. And I think that was the most burnt orange that's been uh, rocked in Bryan, Texas in a very long time, but he's just a fast guy. Um, and Sark likes fast guys. And I'm okay with that. Um, Ishmael Ibrahim for a couple of reasons is probably one that I'm really excited to see one again. He's a big, like, He's long is one of the things I really like about him. He's got really long arms. He's got really uh, great reach. uh, And he's got a body that can probably put on some weight and still maintain some speed. If you watch his tape, one of the things I really appreciate about him is you've got defensive backs that will tackle. And then you've got defensive backs that like to tackle. (laughs) And there's a couple of plays on his tape where he's getting blocked by a smaller, like, you know, slot receiver, and he pushes the guy back into the ball carrier and makes the tackle. And that's the kind of tacklers I like from a defensive back position. Um, I also like I'm cheering for Ishmael Ibrahim, like on a personal level, because he's just a guy. He's just a good kid from everything you read about him. The 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 legal issues he dealt with. Um, I didn't say this on our podcast when it happened for signing day, but it seemed like a lot of like he has some friends that made bad choices and he just happened to take a ride from one of them. And so like, that's, there was a lot of dumb things said about him on the internet. And I, I 
am cheering for him because of that. And he's just, you know, he's a kid who wants to do good and he wants to be better and he wants to create a better life for his family. You know, he was like, wor- he worked nights while playing high school football to help, you know, pay bills for his family. So like, he's a kid that I'm just absolutely cheering for and hoping that he, um, he makes the best of this because I think he can. I think he's a guy who could play on Sundays if he finally gets some development. And I think he gets, um, I think he's going to be one of the guys. And you see, you see this with some of these, these athletes and you probably see it with, with two, all of them really is like, they eat like high school kids. And so (laughs) when they get into a nutrition program, they like bulk up and they grow and they're like, Oh, that, that kid somehow grew three inches. Oh, because they actually were eating more than just moon pies and, you know, soda, right? They get the real nutrition <laughs> program. So I, I'm excited to see what his body turns into. because He's just got a frame uh, that could be really special. But uh, looking ahead, well, there are a couple things we want to talk about here. Um, you know, Sark did a full press conference that kind of touched on spring stuff as well. Um, so he, he mentioned that they're putting a staff together that wants to be the best developmental staff in the country, which... I don't know if he got talking points or if that's just who he is, but he's speaking to a lot of people who had a lot of issues with the last coaching staff. So that's big. He talked about how, and he, I, I felt like this was tongue in cheek because early in the process, he said he was shocked at the number of scholarship wide receivers Texas had like wide receivers and tight end. So he said, obviously wide receiver and tight end is one. We have no questions about depth <laughs> at, which is, um, I, I you could tell he, like, he already has some tells of like, he's, he's taking a shot, which, <laughs> I'm fine with Um, mentioned that the offensive line corner and inside linebacker spots are the biggest positions of need. He said, not from a talent perspective, uh, but from just sheer bodies. And he mentioned that, you know, your linebackers and your, um, you know, defensive backs generally are also the guys who fill out your special teams groups. And so needing bodies there, getting them some early game speed uh, is important. He mentioned they like, he likes what they have at quarterback. Hasn't seen them throw live, but he's kind of doing the opposite. When Tom Herman came in, uh, he didn't watch any, any practice tape of the players. To, so he wanted to come with a fresh eval. It seems like Sark has been grinding the tape on the quarterbacks and on the, the entire team. So I'm excited um, to see that. And again, he mentioned both quarterbacks by name. So, I'm really excited to see an actual quarterback like battle uh, coming in the in the fall. It'll be really interesting because uh, I mean, you saw what Casey could do in the bowl game. You, you've seen uh, glimpses glimpses of Hudson Card, both obviously his high school work and and some of the you know what we get from practice tape, um, but haven't seen it live. But the the way that either of those you know uh, players picks up. Sarkeesian system when they actually get to go live in, in spring ball, um, I think will be uh, will be as big a factor as anything, right? I mean, they're both very talented, but you know, it's not an easy offense to to learn, and, and certainly not an easy one to master. Um, I think he can change his offense to his talent and to his personnel package as well. Um, but I think you know, you look at what they did with Alabama, and and it wasn't you know just so complicated, so many moving parts that it's it's unreal. It's just. You execute, you know everything perfectly well, execute flawlessly, um, and, and you could do it at such a high level. So um, I, th- I think there, you know, there's a huge uh, factor there for sure. Um, obviously, one of the things that was interesting when he talked about the tight end depth, someone asked him about Jatavian Sanders, and he he mentioned uh, that he would be a, a player who you know could play on either side of the ball wherever he's got the biggest chance for success, and then came back and said, and I'm certainly not ruling out that he could play on both sides of the ball, uh, but he included him in that tight end uh, room. So if you're counting him in the tight end depth as well. Well, then who boy there's a lot of uh, a lot of talent there and a lot of dudes who you know want to get their hands on the ball so I think I think he's right that uh, that's that's certainly the deepest but we'll see in two or three years how his uh, his roster distribution might look different than Tom
Tom Herman's about uh, how many you have at, at, at certain positions around uh, around the field. More bodies at offensive line. Yes, please. but yes. Uh, the the other the other big news is that uh, on the recruiting front, Texas landed um, the top. I'll just go ahead and say it, the top back in the state uh, of the 2022 class, four star running back Jaden Blue, number 60 overall, number four running back in the country, number 11 player in the state of Texas. He becomes the third member of the next class. Now I'm going to go ahead and say this um, because after the the um, 2021 recruiting miss on the top end. And after the weirdness that happened in 2020, people were like, Stan Drayton can't land the big fish. Stan Drayton can't land the big fish. Biggest fish of the last two years. Don't look at the star ratings. I'm, I'm just going to go. With, the guy that we trust the most on recruiting, Mike Roach, has said on record that Jaden Blue, he feels, is the best back in both 21 and 22. Nice. So he's landed the big fish. And so with with Jaden Blue coming in, Texas gets a game changer, a guy who's got a mix of size and speed. Um, but hopefully, Kyle, this really kickstarts the momentum for the 2022 class that keeps like offers are just flying out the door at this point. Absolutely. I think I think, you know, we're going to put a bow on this 21 class and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about this 22 class. There's a lot of talent in it. There's a lot of positions of need where we can quickly address and, and get the right guys. And I think getting blue in there, um, it, you know, is the first of some uh, not first. The, the, both guys who are already here in this class are very good as well. Um, but but I think in the in the true, you know, it's rolling. Sark no longer has to look at the transition class for 21 fully looking ahead to 22. You, you're going to see, you know, banks and you're going to see, um, you know, just the the depth flood and Sark and just tons of guys uh, who are recruiting gurus, you know, uh, do some things. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting, certainly about the names you start seeing there. And, and, and you know, once you start getting commits and offers, uh, you know, coming and going, it's going to be it's going to be fun stuff. But I think specifically not to miss it on blue. I mean, it, we're going to go from Bijan Robinson being like a, a you know, a preseason uh, Doak Walker, you know, favorite this year. And, you know, let's hope we get two full years out of him uh, before he goes to Sundays. Um, and then you, you, we talk about Jonathan Brooks, of course. You got Roshan still on the team. Um, but you have a good transition into Jaden Blue, who is somewhat of a similar runner in that the tape I've watched on him, he, like Bijan, is is so fast, so, so fluid um, against high school players that it literally takes just a single cut in the open field. It seems like he's a put the foot down once and cut, and all of a sudden he's upfield five yards in just a flash. And if you saw Bijan, he did that dead leg against, you know, elite college players and made them look like, you know, Arizona high school players as well. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, we I'm, I'm great with just being the school of uh, north and south one cut, um, you know, but uh, but really elite running backs let's let's do that for the next four to six years that's that's fun i can get get used to that i feel like Jaden blue watched Najee harris in the national championship game and said yeah i could do that <laughs> that could be me that would be fun let me just go and do that type of stuff so i'm i'm absolutely excited to see uh it feels like the dominoes are going to start to fall Jaden himself said on twitter hashtag blue effect with a hook'em and a <laughs> orange heart so he is a he's the kind of he's the kind of guy you want early Early in your class because he's a vocal recruiter. He was recruiting uh, LJ Johnson, actually a guy in the 21 class, uh, and Quinn Ewers at a seven-on-seven tournament. Before he had even committed officially to Texas, he was already talking Texas up to them. So I like Jaden Blue. He's the kind of guy that we like. 
to see a couple other quick updates. Uh, spring ball officially will start uh, March 23rd after spring break. Uh, the spring game will be on April 25th at 6.30, which is conveniently 10 days after the potential dead period is ended. So come on. go If you want, rec- if you want the 22 class to take off, stay home, wear a mask, get the vaccine. Do it. I'm <laughs> sorry. I kind of went on a tangent there. You're but uh, Del Conte said that the football team has temporarily moved into the visitors' locker room uh, because, like, construction's happening. Mm-hmm. It's 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 going up. It's going up, Kyle. It's, it looks. Have you watched the videos? Yeah, yeah, I have. It's it's. I'm I'm right now. Like I'm I'm all for. Uh, also, this just incredible rebranding of you know our, our coaches and, and uh, staff looking tough walking through there because we you know we, we, we took some on the chin nationally with Tom Herman's uh, uh, sledgehammer gaff and I'm just excited to see our coaching staff look like you know they're they're comfortable around some construction but the South End Zone continues to go and uh, you know I'm excited they said the the big board I don't think will be the the jumbotron won't be ready for spring game but uh, should hopefully be shortly after uh, getting completed which is exciting um and the uh the 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 little teaser that i loved um someone asked him about at the uh summit or the the athletics town hall or whatever they called it um they they asked him about the the lighting if if they could do the the type of lights that alabama and some nfl teams have have done recently with the kind of blacking out the you know night games blacking out with no lights and then you know quickly flashing different color lights and and patterns and he basically said we're stealing my thunder. Wait till, uh, wait till the, 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 you know, I think he said, sit back and wait, wait till the spring or something like that. Um, so, uh, it seems to me that there is, um, something coming there too, which would be cool. Del Conte is very obviously concerned with the game day experience. It's been a big part of what he's trying to bring. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do. I think that the whole South end zone project is going to be good. I think it's, it's uh, perfect timing. I, I think you could use a hashtag alignment or something here, uh, if you chose to, um, but that, you know, new coach, new regime, um, kind of whole new, you know, mindset and outlook. Uh, again, new coach is always perfect, but uh, <laughs> you're marring a new uh, mindset with some really probably long overdue upgrades to f- some facilities. Um, and you know, it, it's great. Texas being the Joneses, let's be at the vanguard and be at the cutting edge. Uh, in in you know this improvement, I think we've seen a couple seasons of. Um, South end zone being under last season being under construction maybe was kind of fitting, um, so it'll be it'll be nice to see that when the team's fully um, up and running and, and that to be completed. So again, Texas heading in to the spring period in about six eight weeks ish. We're excited to see that happen. In some less good news, um, the number six men's basketball team did not look great against the Baylor Bears. They fell 83-65. to Somebody on this podcast said it could go that way. I'm not going to say who. Uh, I'm also not happy that I was the one that was like, this could suck. Uh, But uh, it was a game of runs like basketball tends to be. Uh, Texas was down big at the end of the first half. Came out really hot from halftime. Had a big run. Took a lead. Uh, And then I'm just going to go ahead and say it. In the most Ebenezer Scrooge Grinch technical foul ever given after a dunk, sparked a Baylor run, and kind of Baylor never really looked back. So uh, Texas struggled in a lot of ways in this game, but had opportunities to win, and I think we could you can really look at all the inches they left on the floor uh, that cost them this one. It was tough. There was, uh, you know, like if you just glance at a box score, it's hard to determine. And again, I, I watched this one 
Tuesday night with a perspective. Like I was with my wife at Baylor grad and, and wasn't really paying close attention. I checked uh, for her birthday. I checked a couple times the box score. And if you just looked at the score and tried to place it, you're like, how is this? Because Texas, you know, shot 55% from the floor and 46% uh, from deep. You know, it's like, okay, they, they shot well. Um, you look at the blocks. They had five to Baylor's one. They won the rebounding battle. They did a lot of things that usually win basketball games. Um, they lost the turnover battle, however, very badly. So when they weren't making shots, it was maybe because they they didn't get the shot up, right? The the starters alone lost 16 to 8 to Baylor's starters, just doubled up on the turnovers. Um, You know, that that, that certainly is, is a huge catalyst, especially when you're, you know, playing to keep it close and your runs are only putting you up a couple points, but Baylor's going up double digits and then you're trying to cut into that. You know, turnovers really kill uh, some of that momentum, uh, three from 14 from the free throw line. Also, they got outscored the the bench uh, for Baylor, I think 17 to four. Um, Kai Jones at four points was really the only one who contributed off the bench. Um, so it, it was it was um, it was an exercise in 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 probably humility for a team that wants to think of themselves as one of the best teams in the country. They got to see what one of the actual best teams in the country looks like. And all credit to Baylor. I mean, they they just were a great team. They smothered on defense. It seemed like every time there was like a scramble play, a fast break, a loose ball, they just had like 13 guys on the floor with hands all over the place and just were, you know, smothering. And you you have to give credit where it's due. They just played a heck of a game. You know, they had a couple, two guys on offense who looked really good. They, I don't still don't think they're like an unbelievably elite offensive team, but they are they are good enough, and they, they certainly are very dangerous on that and very efficient, I think you said, is the correct way uh, to say that. But they are just an unreal defensive team. They are so, so, so very good. Um, Andrew Jones got it going with you know 25 on 16 shots, but it really felt like besides Jericho Sims' defense, there was no one else who who you know was able to thrive or excel in this game uh, against, again, a, a great Baylor team. And I think the telling stat for me is that Baylor shot – 10 fewer free throws and made one more free throw than Texas. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Texas shot 14 free throws. Baylor shot four. They made all four of them that right there. I mean, that's not the entire difference of the game, but you know, 79 at the end of the game is a lot, a lot easier to try to handle. I mean, you can, you can talk about, um, you know, Texas really like not taking advantage of the, the, the size and athleticism advantage they have in the paint. They got outscored points in the paint, uh, pretty significantly. Um, really like the, the Baylor bench came off and did, did a lot of good work for Texas, but I really like, and this is like this, the last two games, right? It's, it looks like a two game losing streak and it is a two game losing streak, but you have to take the last two games with a grain of salt, right? Like Texas had eight scholarship players and it only got like three days of practice with Mm -hmm. a full team going into OU. And then they got like three or four days of practice with a full team, maybe three days heading into um, this, this game against Baylor. And you could even like, and that was good. You could see like Courtney Ramey was still having some breathing troubles. Like they're very clearly, we're still dealing with the aftermath of COVID. So a guy like Courtney Ramey who kind of makes his money on athleticism and his ability to kind of just be uh, efficient and effective and attacking on if he doesn't feel right if he doesn't feel 100% if he's having freaking trouble breathing like mm. that's going to impact the game that he's trying to play and so i think when you when you look at what this game is now is ba- i think Baylor is significantly better than Texas and i've got to eat some crow on that that's fine um but 
I don't think it's that like this stark of a margin. Like Baylor really poured it on when Texas's legs fell out from underneath them. Yeah, I, and I, that I, happened, I think, because of practice issues and because of because of the aftermath of COVID. Yeah, I think I think the, the last third or last quarter, basically, of this game, you know, where Baylor just pulled away and looked different. I mean, I think you can you could trace it back. There was something different in the point when Texas Greg Brown never really quite got it going in this game, um, but he he had a big highlight dunk and got called for a technical for. I mean, not even orange-colored glasses. One of the literal smallest technical calls I've ever seen, and I've watched I don't know how many thousands of basketball games covered, how many thousands professionally at the collegiate level. It, it is probably the lightest technical call I've ever seen for looking in a person's direction. I know that Texas has had at least a dozen times where they have done more than that and not gotten called at points this season themselves, not even other teams. I mean, he didn't say anything, didn't do anything, but he did make a dunk, and then on his way back down the court, took a second a second to look at a Baylor player. I'm not going to say that, you know, again, officiating was the difference in this game by any means, but there was something it felt like, you know, with that chance, keeping it close and they needed that momentum. They needed to feel like, you know, just that, that puff their chest out a little bit um, when that kind of cut their legs out from under, under them. And then the kind of the remaining um, final portion of the game, it just felt like, you know, the wind was a bit out of their sails. And, and, and again, a, a experienced, talented, you know, well coached, <laughs> say it. Uh, team in Baylor um, just just took that opportunity to to make the scoreline look uh, look pretty bad. And I think if they played again, right, that you have a you have a closer team. But I I, I mean I don't know they they they're not going to play a second time this season. But I don't know what Texas does differently um, besides some some offensive execution things and to, to to win this one. But I do think it's probably a closer game than a than a fourteen point uh, game that you saw in the final score because I think this game was closer than a fourteen point score. But there is no doubt. No doubt that Baylor is the better team right now, and and you know that unless Texas gets it all together for a perfect day in a, in a tournament, you know it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to beat that Baylor team. I, I I would not be surprised with a Gonzaga Baylor championship game. And and I think that's that's really what this all hinges on is like Baylor. I think has a legitimate claim. Like I think you could argue that Baylor is the top team in the country. I think Gonzaga is probably that, but I don't think anybody would be like, how could you say Baylor? Like Baylor's just a really, really, really good basketball team. And that's okay. But you know what? We'll see you in the big 12 championship tournament final. If Texas (laughs) plays in that and doesn't opt out, but that's another conversation. And that's the part of the show where we give some shine to all the other news around there. And we down the 40. So, um, like, Basically, 17 seconds after we published our show on Tuesday, we got a full baseball schedule. A couple things that we already knew about. We had the conference schedule out there, uh, but they added some really, really interesting marquee matchups uh, to the schedule, and I'm excited to see... Yeah, there's there's an early season BYU uh, weekend series, which which will be good. I think um, they brought in uh, Sam Houston State, which always always seems like a good uh, good midweek uh, for for the team. Um, obviously, they they kind of kept your, the regular scheduling of some of the Incarnate Words and and Anim Corpus and some of the Rio Grande, UT Rio Grande, some local teams um, in that way. But they uh, they added Nevada, which I I thought was interesting, um, and uh, and a Texas Southern, which, you know, I've gone to that game the past couple years. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, there, there's, we knew the big ones, but they filled out kind of the midweek. And, and again, it just looks like a, a good schedule with a lot of winnable ones. And uh, I'm, 
just another chance to talk about Texas baseball. I'm excited. Uh, I think this is going to be a special year uh, for, for, for the team that's really well balanced and, and really poised to, to make a run this year. Absolutely. And again, I think this Texas team will be really, really fun to watch. Uh, the soccer team has not one, but two on the preseason national best 11 team, which is basically the soccer equivalent of like a preseason All-American. Um, friend of the show, junior mid, uh, midfielder Julia Grasso um, was a preseason third team All-American. Uh, and then again, number one recruit in the nation, uh, Lexi Massimo was one of two Big 12 players named uh, as a freshman preseason All-American. The, on the, uh, the track, the German, our friend Leo Nugenbauer, was named Big 12 Men's Athlete of the Week after his heptathlon. Again, still think that's too many events <laughs> performance over the weekend. Um, he has the now top score of the year, which is absolutely incredible. On the women's tennis team, a freshman Peyton Stearns was named the Big 12 Player of the Week uh, as they gear up for Northwestern in the ITA Indoor Nationals on Friday and then either UCLA or Oklahoma State on Saturday we're getting back in the pool, Kyle. Number one on either side, regardless of where you sit, men or women, swimming team are going to resume competition, host SMU this weekend. And then this is actually big news that just dropped, like, right as we're recording. Um, friend of the show, actual friend of the show, Mike Roach, reported on Twitter that longtime Lancaster and DFW mainstay um, head coach Chris Gilbert uh, is expected to be hired as the Texas director of high school relations, very well connected in the Texas high school football scene, which is something that we've all said that Sark probably needs to really prioritize. He's also one of the like kind of mainstays in the Texas high school coaches association. Like he's a guy who I think anybody who knows anything about high school football knows that name. And so a big pickup for Texas. Yeah, he's on the the TH what is it THSCA, the Texas High School uh, Coaching Association yeah. uh, board of directors. He's I mean you you saw Matt Rule right, a guy who comes in not necessarily having those ties, made some hires that helped him out, and that kind of model worked when you bring a guy who's who's somewhat outside the Texas framework. Uh, usually, it's more important in years like one and two. Um, I think you pretty quickly, if you're the University of Texas, uh, acquaint yourself with the, the high school coaches of Texas if you know what's good for you. Um, but I think it's shrewd. I think it's a it's a great hire. Um, and uh, you know, DFW, right? Let's lock that up. We uh, have have had some of those tough battles. We we had our best probably DFW connection and 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 recruiter and, and coach samples. Who again, his dad, a DFW coaching legend. Um, go to SMU. And so that looked like a slightly vulnerable um, pipeline. So I, I really like for that reason, kind of shoring that up as well. So I'm, uh, I'm thrilled with that one. That's uh, I, I literally only, uh, only found out about this, like you said, just moments ago. So i um, very excited. Keep, keep the good things rolling. There's that famous picture of um, Dwayne Wade running underneath the basket as he lobbed an alley-oop to LeBron James. That's Chris Gilbert and Jeff Banks recruiting DFW, <laughs> where uh, Banks is like, hey, do you have a contact at and Coach Gilbert? Like, I imagine he's he's like he's he's up with the times, but I would like to imagine he has like a big address book in his bottom drawer. <laughs> he pulls it out. And it looks like it kind of looks like the, the old Bible that your your old preacher used to have. It would just slam it on the desk. It's like, I got six contacts at that school. So like that to me is why I'm excited about this hire, but there's a lot to be said about that. And it's very exciting for Texas. 
Oh, I was going to say, I have one final note. I don't want to leave it because uh, they're going to, by the time we play again, we won't get to dive into it. Uh, but the Texas women's basketball team currently, we're recording this on Wednesday night, is up on Oklahoma Sooners, but it's a tight one. You'll have no way of hearing this and being implored to go tune in and watch. Um, but uh, you will know the result by the time you hear this. But it's 47-43 in the third quarter. In the third quarter right now, Charlie Collier has half pretty much of Texas points, 22-9 and nine on the way to another monster night. So we're just... just have to make sure I give shine uh, to this this talented team, and of course to Charlie Charlie Collier, who very well might be the best athlete on the forty acres right now, or you know, the most dominant in her sport uh, on the short list of about five uh, on on the forty acres. So uh, so good things going on there. I think that's fair, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can uh, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, and you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Bring all the crutes. <laughs> <laughs>